Welcome to the Genuine Gals Podcast, where we talk about real shit in a fun way. Just two gal pals talking about life like we're out to lunch. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Genuine Gals Podcast. So sorry we missed you last week. I was at a wedding, so we took a quick break, but we are back and we are rolling. So thank you for bearing with us. Quick note, if you're curious about who you're listening to, you can find out more about who we are on our website, thegenuinegals.com, or you can also listen to the first 10 minutes in episode one, where we take time to discuss our backgrounds and interests. And then we want to make it clear that we do not by any means want to make it seem like we have the genuine gal thing down. (laughs) More so what we're trying to do in this podcast is explore how to improve and become more genuine find out what that actually means for gals like us, because we're pretty sure few people have that figured out. And on that note, if you know someone who has figured part of it out or all of it out, we would love to meet that person. We'd love to speak with them on our podcast. We are open here to having more genuine conversations about things that stretch us. We believe that everyone's got some nugget of treasure that the rest of us can benefit from. So Thank you for that little side tangent. Now onto this week's topic. This episode gets into truth telling, resilience, healing, practice makes perfect, exposure therapy, and how you are the only one that you can control. We talk about all kinds of topics and pose really great questions. We don't have all the answers, but we do try our best to get into it. Hope you enjoy. Well, it's interesting because, you know, since we talked last and kind of some of the things that we covered, like Gail said last week is I was very constructive of what we should do when we first meet people and, you know, people in the real world. And, you know, at the same time, I said, who gives a shit? Also be yourself. And so I think there's some truth to all of it. I think I play in the the sandbox of, you know, read a room understand what's going on. So you kind of know what persona you're going to keep. But then if you were to ask my husband, he never changes persona and he's the same all the time. And I think Gail, you're kind of, you're wanting to be the same way, but yet also having this desire to, you know, make friends in different spaces. And so there's power in truth telling there's power in recognizing something in someone and saying, Hey, have you ever thought of this? Or, Hey, you know, you should really do this. I see this in you and man, you know, you would be a great podcaster or you, you know, based on what you're telling me about your business, you know, you could add in marketing and throw in a podcast that's cheap and easy to make. Um, and you could go far, right? So telling that truth and to people who you just met, a lot of people actually value that in certain settings. That's my, my belief. And it's funny that pattern has come up a lot in the past two weeks since we recorded. And I've heard a lot of people review and say, gosh, you know, if you hadn't said that to me, I would have never started my podcast. Or if you hadn't said that to me, I don't think my business would be as big as it is today. And it's wild to me because to me it's, gosh, those people just met and they are taking them as, you know, Hmm, that got me thinking. Or it's, 
man, I've known these people a long time. I really regard their expertise as, you know, bountiful and truthful and all these things. And I need to either seek their advice or they're just telling me these things. Right. So they're seemingly based on our last podcast, I feel like I maybe put boundaries on things, but I think on the flip side, truth can bring a lot of great things to other people's lives on business related. There's also the side of things, whether that be, I don't know, we, we run into this all the time as women that girls talk about the guy that they're dating, um, and the complications that they're going through. And if you just met this person, this has actually happened to me. If you just met this person, they're talking about it. They're so into it of like, why did he do that? I do. I ask questions. And then I say, girl, it's time to let him go. Or sounds like he is not your guy or man, maybe you should do this. And I'm honest. So there are situations where if you feel comfortable, speak it out, right? Like if I know if I were in that situation and I just have someone that I just met that knows one of my best friends and she's saying these things to me might be kind of weird, but I'm also not comfortable sitting there and bullshitting someone Mm. and saying, you're fine or whatever. Like if I don't believe it, I I don't want to say it or keep my mouth shut. It's either I'm telling the truth or I'm keeping my mouth shut in those scenarios. Um, and just listening, I I'm not a very good, keep it to myself kind of person, but other girls were weighing in too. So I think that's also, again, read the room. If no one's weighing in and everyone's just kind of like, mm, read the room for sure. But in that scenario, it felt right to be like, girl, he's not your guy. You need to let him go, you know? So all of that to say, you know, I think Gail, when you talk about being a truth teller or asking these tough questions, by no means am I saying stop because I think it's powerful, but I do think there is room or there is something to say. (laughs) And we talk about this all the time is tone. Tone can play an aspect into it, body language and all of those things. So we touched on that last time, but I think that, that this time it's, it's going deeper into treating people well, like telling the truth. That's what I keep coming back to. So Yeah. So the example that you just gave is a way of telling truth to close friends when you care about them, but you're making a judgment and that's scary Mm -hmm. when you tell the truth about a judgment you're making about a guy or a personality trait. I try my best not to make those judgments about people. So that's definitely a different level of truth telling that's Mm that's just for close friends. Right. Mm-hmm. And you, you, I feel like everyone's seen this scene play out where nobody's saying anything. And one person's like, okay, come on guys. We got to say something. <laughs> you know, we got to tell her this guy sucks or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously I'm not doing that with strangers when I meet them, like, Hey girl, meeting you for the first time, but I think your boyfriend sucks, you know, <laughs> none of that, not that, but there's a couple of different ways we can tell the truth. So Shree, I think- can I tell a story about how I did oh. that? I've actually <laughs> done that. <laughs> okay. So we were at a bar and we just met this girl. Like literally she was having a great time with her friends. We're at the bar and 
I don't know. We were all just talking about similar things. Right. And so she starts chatting us up and, you know, offers us, I don't remember. I think she's offering us mushrooms, honestly. And we're like, Oh, cool. We have a mushroom contact. (laughs) (laughs) And then we like come back to the bar and we're still, she's like hitting us back up. She's like, Oh, my best friends. And like, so we keep chatting and this guy walks in and she is like kind of chatting it up about how, like, I can't find a good man. And this was me and my friend. And so we're sitting here listening to her and this guy walks by and she goes, see, I need a man like that. And this guy oh, was shit. like, how do I, what's the best description? Who's Jason Momoa? Or how do you say that? That guy, that actor's name, he was in game of Thrones. He played that big, like Viking guy. It was a Viking. It wasn't the mountain. No. And he also played, he played Aquaman, Jason Momoa. I don't know. Anyways. Anyways. So he kind of had that same build and he was wearing a hat and he was just like super muscular and tall. And I think he was like half black and like really chiseled. Yeah. And she goes, see, I need a man like that. And I was like, okay, why? She was like, I don't know. I just, I, I get in these relationships and they're, they don't have any emotion. They don't care all these things that I need someone to care for me. I need like an artist. I want him to like be sensitive and sweet. And like, she hadn't made up her mind of exactly what she wanted. Right. But she had never dated him. And I was Mm -hmm. like, don't you think that that would be kind of boring? (laughs) She goes, she was not taking it back at all. She was just like, well, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. What, why? And I was like, you seem like a kind of person that needs a challenge when a guy is in front of you and he's emotional and he's a puddle in your hands. I feel like you would get annoyed. And Uh she goes, Oh, and she like kind of thinks about it. And she's like, huh? And I was like, I'm just saying, I thought that's what I wanted to. And I have a husband who is not that, and I freaking love him. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. It's frustrating it's challenging in a way that like, I'm the emotional one and I have to try to yank emotions out of him. And it's Mm. subconsciously, I need that almost in a way. I'm not trying to change him, but if he was a puddle, I would be like, I'm, it's my turn to be a puddle, not you. Yeah. You need the balance. Yeah. You need the balance. And so it was just funny because I literally had that conversation with a stranger and granted she was a little drunk. So she probably wasn't as like, why is a stranger saying this to me? But like <laughs> alcohol helps. <laughs> I was completely sober though. So I was like, let me try this out. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell things. Also, it probably helped that he wasn't her chosen life partner. <laughs> you know, she, he wasn't the guy she committed to already. Right. Yeah. That definitely have been different. If she was like, this is my man, right. All these things. And you were like, oh, be boring. I, I don't know. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you're probably so right. I said it was just random dude that wandered in. Um, <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. No, he probably just looked passionate, you know, with like oh. his lens and eyes and I don't even, I don't think he had the long hair, but he had the build. Yeah. And you just need that look in the eye, you know, that suggests that you're a little wild. (laughs) And like, they could dominate you just a little. (laughs) 
Yes, uh, behind closed doors. We've rated this podcast as explicit for a reason. So <laughs> don't be surprised if we go there. The genitalia is an important topic to <laughs> It is. Sexual behavior, even if it's a little deviant. Anyways, bringing it back. I think a good example of, I guess, one level of the first thing I was describing. So like I said, you weren't judging. It, like It's not like somebody was coming to you about your husband and being like, isn't that a little boring? You know? Mm-hmm. So it's like almost the, the, like you said, reading the room, but beyond that, it's also context, the context of, okay, I'm not going to like harm her life decision by poking and asking a question like this, you know, um, a couple other ways for me. So one, one thing that's, I think, kind of captures all humans in general and this is true across cultures and Mm -hmm. really any human interaction is storytelling right Mm -hmm. and the stories always teach us something and other people's stories teach us something and even if it's just a little nugget it teaches us something it can fill a gap So I try to interact that way. And so the, the other way of kind of trying to extract truth from people, let's say, or going on a little treasure hunt for some nuggets of truth is to just figure out what they do for a living, let's say, or what their expertise is on and ask about that. Okay. So this is actually a funny topic. This actually happened to my husband. We were at a party and he didn't really know anyone there. He maybe knew like two people. I knew maybe 10 people and then probably an additional 10 people, but not well. And so he was like, I had some fun conversations with people, you know, one person wanted to talk about Arsenal and then everyone else just wanted to know what I do for a living. Hmm. And that's so boring. And I was like, yeah, I mean, what, that's one of my first questions. Like, what do you do? And I think in a networking world, it makes sense. But in a person to person world, what about asking, like, what do you do for fun? Or do you, I, a new one that I've been doing is, do you have any trips planned? Like, what's your next trip? Um, And if they don't, then great. Then they start talking about like, actually I'm a homebody and I love staying at home, you know? And then we start talking about that. Um, So it does leave anyways, that was, it, it is a weird cultural shift or cultural thing that we do is we we place high value on what we do for a living and certain cities are more than others. Right. Like I think if you were to place that party, say in Montana or back in our college town of Flagstaff, like that, it would be like, what do you like to do for fun? Like, you want to go for a hike sometime, you know, like something like, I think it just totally depends on your location, metropolitan city, rural mountains, you know, all that which is interesting to think about too. It's such an interesting distinction and just shows how many layers there are to everything. Because when I ask people, I don't really ask people, what do you do for a living? I'm more so I'm looking for something that grips them that they know a lot about and it can be something that doesn't pay, right? But it's still your work. Like it's still the, the work that grips you and interests you that you have an expertise on. And if it's something you don't care about, even if you do have an expertise on it, that's going to be a boring conversation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know, like, um, the other day I was in a conversation with someone 
and they were asking me what I did. And every time I say I'm a librarian, people are like, no way. They're shocked, you know, but it's, it's what I love. It's because they don't really exist as much. It's so funny that you say that. It's interesting because you're like a normal person or yes, I'm also, you don't- <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you're not a librarian. And so they don't exist. Like you don't interact with them ever except for right. me. But I interact with them all the time. <laughs> so it's it's interesting the perspective. Yeah. They don't yeah. exist. <laughs> yeah, I you just assure you that they we do. We're just like in our little underworld of nerdiness, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I think the way it's everything you're talking about is the way they interact. They like to interact. I say they. You you all like to interact with inquisitive minds. And so you seek them out and then you hang out with them and that's your socializing style. I'm blanket statementing it big time, but. Yeah, they're all very different. Are they? Okay. A research librarian is very different from a public librarian. We don't judge. But I know a couple of public librarians, they're amazing people, but they're more, um, you know, nurturing and caring a little bit more on the, the yin, um, you know, care about the public good and all that. And not saying that an academic librarian doesn't care about the public good, but we care more about, like you said, the intellectual um, conversations. But anyways, uh, yeah. ways to tell truth. So yeah. Like you just picked apart just one example of telling truth to someone in a social setting and gave a great example as to why that can be fine, right? Like it was totally fine. I connected with this woman. She didn't feel at all like I was pushing her into chaos or anything like that. And then another example of, okay, well, why are people asking me what I do? Why? Like, that's annoying. I don't want to talk to people about my job. So, you know, another even if it is a social norm, maybe people don't want to engage in it anymore and that's fine. But But I also think it's really interesting when you think about leading a conversation, right? If you're like, I don't want to talk about that, like leading a conversation either away from it, or I always like to see, gosh, is this person going to lead the conversation or am I, I'm almost always the leader of the conversation. Like I had, I had someone standing in front of me and she clearly wanted to chat she did not know how to carry on a conversation. She was so interested and so into it. And I was like, I'm running out of things here. Come on. You got to give me something. And she wasn't giving me anything, but yet she was doing one of these. And I was like, and I'm shaking my head and smiling. And that's literally what she was doing. And I was like, I don't know what you want from me right now. <laughs> like she was goading you to engage. Yeah. And, but she wasn't, she wasn't trying to lead the conversation in any way, shape or form. And so, yeah, it's really fascinating when I, you know, in, in social settings, trying to think of my leading this or am I along for the ride? And nine times out of 10, I'm, I'm leading the conversation, mm. which is fine. Like I'm a pretty strong leader, but usually it's like, okay, does this person even want to be a part of this conversation? If I were to let this conversation die, how would we both walk away from it? (laughs) You know, like I always think of that of like, I, if I were to stop talking right now, what would you do? You know what I mean? Like, are you just going to look at me? You're going to turn around and walk away. Is someone going to say something? So like, I usually try to 
when I can feel it, I usually am like, well, it was so great talking to you. I'm going to go grab a drink or so great talking to you. I'm going to go find my husband, but you guys have a good night. You know, something like that. Like, I feel like I'm always the person to say that, like I can feel it, you know, but I don't know if everyone else can feel it. I think I'm also the leader of a conversation with my questions. (laughs) Yeah. You prompted me to think more about what my conversation style is, but I think people might benefit from, you know, if you could group them kind of like personality tests. Yeah. What does it look like to lead? What does it look like? What are the different types of roles you can take in a conversation? Yeah. How does that change based off how many people are in the conversation in the context? And if somebody does want to lead a conversation, what does that really look like? Yep. And I think too, I mean, it goes back, like you said, personality types, but then human design, all the different things that can play a role in it, your life experience, right? If you're not, if you weren't socialized as a kid, you probably are very socially awkward and have to like practice makes perfect almost in a way of being able to, you know, figure it out. I used to be terrible at all of that stuff. Young life helped me, um, you know, being in a sorority helped me doing all of those different things really helped me figure it out. And then same thing. I mean, you can go take that all the way into so many different things, but like confrontation hated it. I would immediately start crying. Now I'm like, let me confront. You don't want to confront some confront. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you don't want to confront someone. I'll confront them for you. Like you shouldn't Uh go through life with holding that information. Like you need Uh to say something or it's like, you need to look inward, look inward to understand that either that's a you problem or that's a them problem that you need to talk about. That's a big one that I've learned pretty recently within the last year is like nine times out of 10, it's something that I can control and I need to look at myself and I don't need to confront someone about something that maybe that hurt me. They have no idea that they hurt me. It's because I reacted poorly to what they said. Hmm. So all of that to say there, I'm going back to just practice makes perfect is, you know, I think in social settings, putting yourself out there. I will use the example of like a guy asking a girl on out, you know, at a bar, you could have a guy that's like a two, but he's going up to every girl and asking her if he want, they want a drink. And mm-hmm. because he's got the numbers, he'll, he'll eventually get a girl to have a drink with them, you know, mm-hmm. and he's got the confidence and all that, but like practice also makes perfect, right? Like he is practiced. Whereas you could have a guy that's a total 10, but he, doesn't want to ask any girls to drink. He's not going to have a girl, you know, it's all the same, same thing as societally, socially, all the things like we aren't going to know if leading a conversation is our thing or telling the truth is our thing. If we've never done it before. And I definitely have friends too, who truth telling comes on a private scale. It doesn't come on a public scale skeptical, like spectacle, right? Like it's very Mm -hmm. much like we're not having this conversation right now. Like Mm -hmm. this isn't the time, you know? And again, you just know that. I think that's the thing, right? But if they wanted to, they could say, I'm going to try that. Let me see it out. But they don't want to. And that's their prerogative, right? So there's, I, we keep saying truth telling, but I'm trying to break it down because I really don't, it needs to be broken down. Okay. 
like genuine, genuine behavior. I think it's being true to yourself and true to what you see it as. Is that what you're trying to go for? No, I'm, I'm so clarifying actually having this conversation because I now know what I do. Okay. I'm an explorer. That's Mm -hmm. how I act. I'm looking for the little nuggets in the depths or not even in the depths. It can be on the surface, but it fills a gap or shines a light on something that I'm. Yeah, no, that's valid. My unknown. So it's almost like I'm exploring. I'm not trying to tell people like I know shit. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think I do that. I don't think I go around it. And, but I think what you're saying and what you, we've talked about before is that it comes off that way. Yeah. Like when you present this question with the tone that you present it with, it comes off like, you know, the answer, or it comes off like, you know, this is the best way to go. And that's really genuinely, when I think about what my aim is, that's not it. Yeah. So that is something that the human design can tell you too, which is fascinating. So like what I was describing is truly true to myself. As soon as you were talking, you're like, I'm an explorer. I'm like, I'm an experimenter. Like that is literally what I just described. And it literally tells me in my profile that I'm an experimenter. So that's wild. Like I, I bet you that's what you would get to. I don't know what the other types are, but an explorer or an experimenter. So like I, that I would be an, I'm an experimenter and that you would get you, you're an explorer. Okay. So I got all these notes about stories and what they tell us, how to be, how to connect with people, how to be a genuine person, how to be the hero. Really the the question we are trying to answer is how do you carry yourself in a way that's genuine to you without being afraid, right? Like how do you dance in the middle of the street? If that's what you want to do, like nobody's watching you (laughs) because we ended on that in our last episode. So getting back to- yeah. How to do, how to confront social unknowns maybe, or even your own potential, which is scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a full believer afraid. that it, it takes practice. And ma- again, maybe that's because of who I am and my design and just my life experiences. Um, I think I even said it in the last podcast is that I'm, I used to hate public speaking. I used to hate being in front of people. I used to hate dancing. Like I was always so scared of what people thought of me. And then the more I did it and the more I realized people don't give a shit, they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves just like I was and still do, you know, then it helped. And yeah, I think just experimentation for me, but I think it's also different for other people. I mean, that's, through and through the advice I would give and my brain kind of stops there of, of what the possibilities are for someone else to, to kind of get there. I don't know if it would be reading about the psychology for someone like you or talking to other people about it, you know, through therapy or, Hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of different mechanisms for everyone. And it's like, if that's something that you want to do, what are the, the steps that you can take to be genuinely, like you said, yourself and being who you want to be without fear of judgment. Fear of judgment is what a lot of people face. I mean, I can honestly say I'm 100% myself with with my husband and I've never been that way with anyone except my family. 
and you know, you, I, I think with you, I'm, I'm myself. Um, cause you're like family to me. I bucket you in the same space, but with some of my friends, I'm still, I would say not always 100% my goofy little self. I'm getting there. I'm definitely gotten better being able to be in that zone. Right. But I think it takes time to feel accepted and know that like that part of you is good and is accepted by others. Does that make sense? I don't know. I, yeah. I, I think there's so much to it, but I think it's different for every person. What works for me isn't going to work for you. Um, Why did you decide to change those things that you didn't like? Like what, what motivated you to say, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this. That's a good question. I mean, I think I saw people doing those things and they were so loved. They were so liked, whether they were good at dancing or not, it made them seem so fun. And I had just never been that way in public. I was always at, that way at home, you know, but I'd never been that way in public thinking like, oh, that's too silly. People won't like that. And then I would see people do that. And I, it, it looked so freeing to do it in front of others. Um, but yeah, somewhere down the road, I, I had the narrative in my head that, I, I mean, even when I was little, I would, I had the narrative that even if I was doing it in my bedroom, like people outside on the street could see me doing it and they would think I was a weirdo. So I like almost even stopped doing it on my own. Like I, I would tell myself those stories. That's crazy that you had these two completely opposing conflicting, Mm -hmm. like those people are doing it and everybody loves them for doing it. So I want to be like that. But when I do it, nobody loves me and everybody judges me like in, in the face of opposing evidence, you still, what, what is, I, I mean, I didn't by any means love high school or middle school or anything just because I was tall and I stood out and all that. I already stood out in a lot of ways. And so I think part of it was the fact that in some circles I got made fun of and I felt like all eyes were just always on me because I was so tall. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, like I said, I did, I got made fun of and nonchalantly, like they thought I couldn't hear them, but they were making fun of me. And so I think mm-hmm. because when you have that impacting you, I just thought, well, I would just be giving them ammo to make fun of me more. Like I wasn't already accepted for the way that I was, or I thought I wasn't, you know, maybe that was a total lie that I was telling myself. I think in some regard, I was accepted by some friends. Obviously I had friends, Um, but to other people, I wasn't, you know, accepted or, you know, whatever. So I was more worried about them rather than just being with my own friends, you know? Yeah. So yeah, there were two narratives in my head, which is funny to point out, but I think I could logically tell myself one story, but then the other story, I, I always said this when I was younger, I, I consistently had a battle in my head. Like I don't, I thought everyone did. I always had a battle going on in my head that was just conflicting. It was all the time. I think everyone has a battle. My battle happened on the landscape of good and evil. and like being a woman in a very mm. religious <laughs> so it's a different kind of battle right I think it's a product of our environment mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's super interesting. And to get back to a point we made in our last podcast, you kept saying like you learn things over time and I totally get what you mean by that now. And I kept saying, I didn't like, it was like, I had already known. And I just, I never stopped. Like I never stopped acting that way after I realized, like it was, um, the epiphany moment, right. Mm. When, when you solve an equation and you have the answer, you've already learned it. It was already there, but all of a sudden you had the ability to let it rise to the right. Mm -hmm. And so my thing was always, um, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring it up, but beauty and the beast, I watched beauty and the beast every day in high school. And I swear to God, that story revealed to me, this is a a good way to be a woman in the world, Mm -hmm. right? She was a 16 year old girl. She did not care that everybody thought she was weird for furthering herself and, and thirsting for knowledge. And she learned how to interact with different types of masculine aggression. She learned how to interact with different types of women. She learned how to filter out the superficial. She learned, she learned all these things, right? She interacted with the different caricatures in the castle. Like I watched that every day. And until, I don't know, a decade later, I did not try to look to see why I'd watched that movie so many times. And then don't you think she also had to be that way because of her situation with her father? She had to be a caretaker. She had to be a realist. She had to do all of these things because she had a single father who needed looking after. She had to grow up. She did the honorable thing. She's a heroine Mm -hmm. character for a reason. Mm -hmm. She did the honorable thing. She sacrificed herself for her father. She contended with the beast. She grew up, but in an honorable way, Mm -hmm. actually, it's hard to articulate why her story matters. Um, She had to do what she had to, she didn't have to do any of that. She could have married Gaston. Totally. She could have been friends with those blonded, blonde bimbos with, you know, the big boobs. Like she could have been, she could have done that. She could have stayed limited in the provincial town, become a wife to the superficial guy. She could have done all of that instead, but she longed for adventure and books gave that hunger to her and she found it and it was worth contending with. And it made her into a strong, courageous woman that Mm -hmm. could contend with wolves and transform a beast. There's something there. So anyways, I I learned how to be a good woman from that and Jane Eyre really. And both of those women did their own thing. Yeah. They they left their homes and they didn't worry about fitting in with, I don't know. And honestly, I think it's benefited me more than when I tried to fit in. Well, don't you think you sought that out because maybe you didn't have the best mother figure? She was absent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, she wasn't at all. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I really, so we've talked about, you know, everything about my past and we've talked about how I think I'm better for it. Mm-hmm. I am extremely grateful for, I, I wasn't for a while. I was the, you mm-hmm. know, the sad little victim, pathetic little whatever, but once I acknowledge like, okay, this is my lot and I'm more resilient for it and I can be better for it. I'm so grateful. I wouldn't change any of it. What got you there though? Exposure therapy helps. It's really hard to do and think about anything when you're gripped by 
I hesitate to say it, but it's good to admit it. Trauma, right? The tra- Everyone's got trauma. Doesn't make you special. It doesn't make you like the victim. It doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Everyone's and got trauma. Dif- yeah. And there's different levels. If you really yeah. want to label it as trauma, everyone's, everyone's got it. Exactly. And it can hijack your nervous system and your brain. Exposing yourself to the thing that you fear most allows you to act and treat yourself. Even if you aren't ready, you're facing, you're turning around and facing the dragon, right? The moment you turn around and face it, you've told your nervous system and your brain and every part of you that you are big enough to look at this thing Mm. and face it. And I really think the moment I did that, everything in my life improved, my regulation improved. And all of a sudden it was like, I would rather do this and treat myself like this. And Mm. that was it. I mean, it, it was a journey. It took like probably four or five years for me to finally shed all of that crap that I had stored from college, really, you know, all the victimization and you get to be cared for and, you know, other people take responsibility for what's happened to you. And that took me down a really horrible path. And then as soon as I said, no, I think I'm going to take responsibility for this because even if it is everybody else's fault, that doesn't help me at all. What do I do? Just stay and wallow. Right. Right. Because everyone else has to fix it for me. No. And so it, it didn't click until I was probably like 25. Yeah. I mean, it's such an important, whether you've had the level and degree of trauma that you've had or anything in general, right? Like exposure therapy, plus recognizing that you're the only one in this world that you can control. You can't control anything else. Mm-hmm. You can't control what happens to you. You can only control your reaction. And the sooner that major- like people realize that it's going to help Honestly, everyone, I wish everyone would just get the memo like stamped in their brain and then we can release all of the drama that we all continually, you know, have, or even in the, oh my God, like in the work environment all the time, it's like you control your outcomes, buddy. And you're not putting in what is needed of you. And that's on you, you know, or in personal life, it's like, what you just put out into the universe, you can't be offended. Like you cannot be offended at what you're getting back. Like you're reacting to something else, like get it through your thick skull, you know? And same with everything that's happening society-wise, like everyone being so sensitive. I'm like, you need to look at hard in the mirror. If you are sensitive to a joke on Twitter, I'm sorry, but that's not okay. And not an okay. You don't. Who's forcing you to listen? And like, who are you to then put that person down? Like you're going to spend your time and energy to go put someone down on social media and hide behind a phone. That's interesting. You need to look at yourself in the mirror and figure (laughs) out what's going on. I see. I've been moved to tears about what's happened to JK Rowling. Mm, Yeah. Like the tears. I cannot believe that the people she gave so many opportunities to like took chances on them, just turned on her like that. And I actually, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. She's standing up for what she believes in good for what she believes in good for her, but Mm. you don't have to agree with her to like a story she wrote. Like seriously, also don't have to drag her through the trash, through the shit 
and, and tarnish her reputation because you disagree with her. Yeah. I, I know it's not a personal thing. Cause you know, you don't want to get super emotional cause that's what they're doing. Right. But it makes me so sad for people like that who have yeah. nobody's perfect, right? Everybody's reputation can be tarnished. Everyone, everyone, even your heroes, even you. Right. Well, it's, it's a shame that famous people, I mean, it can be anyone, but famous people, they have to be so conscious of what they say and do. And if they say one sarcastic thing and it's taken seriously, the next thing you know, they're losing that next big job or next big deal. And it's a shame. It's a really, it's sad because it's like, when did we get that way? And I mean, also famous people are putting themselves in that spotlight, whereas I don't have nearly as much. I mean, I have my reputation. If I were to put bad stuff out on the internet, people might not hire me for my next job. Right. So like we all kind of have things on the line, but at the end of the day, again, when did we become so sensitive and it's, it's really a bigger topic, but I, I just, the sensitive ones need to check themselves. They need to say, why am I triggered by this? Mm. (laughs) Like, look at yourself, man. Like if, if that's affecting you, there's gotta be something else going on. Mm. Um, and don't get me wrong. I think that studies show that there actually are a lot of mental, there's more mental illness these days than ever before. And there's a lot of factors that weigh into that, whether that be the pandemic all the things happening with social injustice, all of this, you know, capitalism playing a role. Like there's so many different things that are playing into people's, you know, mental stability. But at what point are we going to stop blaming that and taking it into our own hands? Like what I don't, I've never understood and I'm not saying I'm higher and holier than now, but I've never understood the person that sits there and complains and does nothing about it. I met a long time ago in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I worked side by side in housekeeping with this girl and everybody always complained about housekeeping. And we were getting to know each other while we were cleaning toilets and everybody was sharing their biggest pet peeve. And in the middle of working with a bunch of college students that were also trying to clean, right. And complaining the entire day about it. She stood up and said, my biggest pet peeve is complainers. And that I will never forget that, that person. She was not only genuine, she was awesome. She was a rock solid person and she never once complained and acted like something was beneath her. Yeah. Even more so. Why the heck are we not grateful for the fact that we live safely cushioned that we have opportunities and like totally go live somewhere else, right? (laughs) Somewhere else. Like you think that the, the grass is greener in some of these other countries. Okay. Try it out. I'll believe you when you Mm -hmm. go there, (laughs) you know, like I'll believe you when you've experienced their liberties and their rules and their opportunities, you know, like, and then when people criticize other people's jobs and complain about, you know, politicians, let's say, okay, you can complain once you've done it better. Right. Right. I mean, you figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I think there is something to say about shooting the shit and just having a conversation. Right. And saying, God, 
that was such some shit. Right. And then there's another of like relentless, like at some point yeah. you've got to let it go and like, yeah. know that like you've taken this passive conversation. You're, you're getting on a point where that's all you talk about. Like, come on, let's move on. Um, but I, there's a way to say that something's wrong without complaining. Mm, that's a good question. I think when you have a solution to the problem that's is exactly usually it. when it's okay. Yeah. You're, you're totally right. That literally popped into my head right when you said it, right. Is someone pointing out, Oh, this is a gap. This is a problem. Here's how I think we can fill it. Yep. And I, I like, like if someone were to say, gosh, I'm trying to think of a good example, something in the government. I'm, I'm, I, just so everyone knows I plead ignorance on everything political. I know enough to just know like a pulse. And aside from that, I don't enjoy reading it. I don't enjoy talking about it mostly because I don't know enough to even hold a conversation about it. My husband knows much more. So he talks to me about it and that's how I, I learn. And if there's something that I'm intrigued by, then I go look it up myself. But other than that, I hate all of it. Um, (laughs) so yes, in that realm, ignorance is bliss anyways, but so that's why I'm struggling to come up with a topic for government things, but I did hear someone talk about it well recently and I totally agree. And I've always felt this, I guess I've just never voiced it because I thought it was maybe kind of stupid because I don't know enough about it. Um, but we've never really had a president or honestly just politicians in general that are very much in the middle, like true middle that can see both sides. They're always weighing so far to the left or so far to the right. Why can't we have someone in the middle? And the psychology behind that typically is, is that they just don't have the care to fucking put up with all the bullshit that comes with dealing with Democrats and dealing with Republicans um, because people do go so far left and so far right. Um, And so that's me. I'm like, that's a solution. You're complaining about something, but you're also finding a solution and talking about it. Like to me, that, that that's a, that's a conversation I'm, I want to have. And yeah. Why are we not more in the middle? Like, why do we have to be so one-sided? I don't understand that. And why does it not logically speak to us? Like, I know we're all very competitive people, but why does it not logically come to us that, Hey, we would probably be better off if we could have someone that sees both sides. How does that not make sense? I uh, completely agree, but you're asking, I mean, think about it in your own life. You're on one side of the fence on some things and it would take dragging you by the hair, fighting tooth and nail to get you to the other side. All right. We can just bring it back to even complaining. Cause I think just complaining in general. I mean, I've, I've been on trips with people who complain the whole time and it's not fun. And it's like, we're all going through the same thing right now. Why are you complaining? Shut the fuck up. Literally shut the fuck up. Shut the. When you're, I don't know, there's a fine line and obviously it goes back to knowing your audience and just bucking up. And I mean, your housekeeping example is perfect. I've been in that same situation, literally almost identical, just a different camp. And it's like, yeah, let's make this fun. I, I do the same thing when I'm cleaning the dogs. I'm like, 
does this fucking suck? Sure. Do I have the choice to start singing a song and talking to my dog and trying to make it fun? I do. And I choose that one. And guess what? I come out of that situation laughing, feeling positive and not like, God, that was fucking awful. You know, like I choose, it sounds so cheesy, but I choose joy. Like, (laughs) no, people don't understand that they can choose their perception. They can choose You can say, yeah, this sucks. Or you can honestly make yourself believe that it doesn't suck. Yeah. But with things like hunger and sleep, like when you're tired, you can't, you can't like will yourself. I mean, you can will yourself past hunger to a certain extent, but at some point you're going to die. Right. When it, when it comes to like washing your dogs or cleaning a toilet for somebody else, it's all about how you look at it. And I swear to God that built my character so much same keeping for six or seven years. I mean, being able to have the opportunity to develop a perspective that like, no, you're not above this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When I, when I clean tanning beds and there was piss in a tanning bed, you bet your ass. (laughs) You can take pride in that. I am making this better. Yeah. 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 No, I I totally agree. The complaining thing. We could talk a whole lot about But I think we're so entitled and so privileged and so cushioned. I mean, even I see myself, like I'm, I was pretty resilient. I came up from a pretty rough past. I like to think that I don't complain about menial things. Do I now? Hell yeah, I do. (laughs) My, all of a sudden I have all this cushion around me. I have a wonderful fiance, wonderful friends. I have a great job. I have all this cushion, right? I have a wonderful country. Like and, and, and now I'm like, oh, okay. I can complain about, you know, whatever this thing or be mad and like let it grip me and like, what the hell is wrong with me? I used to be so much more resilient. Yeah. I think, I mean, the thing that comes to mind with that too, is being hard on yourself because I've been told I've no, I've been told my entire life. I'm too hard on myself. So even like, I'll talk about things like this with other people and they'll be like, Kimmy, you're so hard on yourself. You're in like, I think in my life, I am one of the biggest analyzers of anyone. Like, and I think that's why you and I kind of get along is because you and I both have that similar mindset of like, I'll see myself sit like complaining about something in my life. And I'm like, Nope, I need to come from a place of gratitude. I have a roof over my head. I have a husband who loves me. I've got food. I've got two great dogs. Like I start and it works sometimes. And other times I'm like, okay, great. But I still want this. (laughs) And it's like, okay, at some point a thought has to float in and just has to float out and you can't always keep it there and let it drill down on you because I, and that's something that I'm working on is that I just, sometimes got to let thoughts go and just recognize that they're not meant to live there and build a home. They're just meant to pass by. Yeah. Yeah. And you have, it's interesting. I think our brain kind of operates at like some number that says majority of us and our brain operates without our consent, right? Obviously we're breathing without being attentive to the fact that we're breathing, our heart's beating. You just reach for your water you weren't thinking, okay, now Cammy reach for my water, you know, like so much is happening without yeah. our consent and, and understanding and mindfulness. So, but with all the things we've been talking about with being able to pay attention to that and neuroplasticity, the, the way you can grow 
and expand your potential, that really is in your control. Yeah, sure, there's limitations, mm-hmm. but are you are you hard enough on yourself? I think most people aren't, and they say you're too hard on yourself because they don't want to also be. I hard mean, on- that's valid. I I do see that. I don't. I just don't think that everyone does that. But I also love that there are people that do it because I think it's making us better humans. Um, not that the people that don't do it aren't great because I think that they, they still very much are and they learn things in their own time. Not everyone, no two people are wired the same to progress in life. And that's the beauty of life. Yeah. Um, so I very much am a full believer that to some, yeah, it seems like I am really hard on myself, but I have high standards for myself and that's okay. And there's a time and a place too. Like if I'm not feeling it, I don't got to focus on myself. I can watch TV and drown in TV, you know, and that's okay. Like, I think there's so many life hacks and you got to do this and watching TV is bad. And it's like, no, today I'm all, that's all I want to do. And tomorrow I don't want to do it at all, you know? And so all of that to say, you know, I think bringing it home is, it's one foot in front of the other. There's so much chaos in the world that realistically are, you know, I think you say it best with our nervous system and, and all the different things that we're encountering in our overly stimulated lives that there's just so much to digest and think about. And you got to find the right line for you to to find that path. And sometimes your path is going to change and that's okay. And sometimes the line might not be straight (laughs) and that's just part of life. It's part of the journey. So we, we talked about a lot of things from truth to, you know, just finding the line and the chaos to being genuine in this, this wild and crazy world. So we definitely aren't perfect. Let's just reiterate that one more time, but we're trying our hardest. We're just having genuine conversations over here. So that's truly why we're here together, trying to figure out the best way to move forward in in life. We hope that you join us next week. We hope you enjoy this episode and we'll continue to, to navigate this crazy and wonderful life. Hey, subscribe, rate us, and leave a review and tell all your friends if you liked this. And by all means, find us on Instagram, The Genuine Gals. Our website is thegenuinegals.com. Super simple. We'd love to hear from you guys on, on what you think and honestly, what else you'd like to hear us talk about. So we'll catch you next week. <laughs>